0: Honk with Mike Bridenstine is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu.
1: We should take a knee for the last three minutes to force this cheap fuck to buy Zoom. Mike knows, like, so, like the biggest names in comedy, dude, you gotta see this guy's fucking show list. He, like, has, like, the biggest names on uh, in comedy on his, on his show. It's kind of unreal, Mike, how you do that.
0: The best panel pod on the internet.
1: This is what the show's about, Nick. We have our finger on the pulse of America's uh, (laughs) trends.
0: Obama is the actual devil. Crocodile Dundee was cool.
1: Yeah! Welcome to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. I'm Mike Bridenstine. Shout out Rick Gonzalez. Shout out Bad Planet. Shout out an Untaken podcast. Shout out No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I hope you're good. I just got back from Texas, so I'll have a new panel for you next week. But this week I'm going to give you my interview with Nick Vaderot. I got great feedback on the Kanane episode, so thank you for that. And I think you're going to like this one, too. I've been working on the history of the Chicago alt-scene book, and Vaderot's name keeps getting mentioned maybe more than anyone else's. Bottom line is he blew other comics' minds, myself included. And for a lot of reasons, if you don't know who Nick is, I implore you to find his 2010 set from Jimmy Fallon. I posted it on my Patreon if you want easy access to it. I also linked John Roy's Vulture article about that set. And if you also have not found his album for amusement only, I push that on everybody. Go stream that, buy that, whatever you got to do. It's great. Nick has appeared on Conan. He has a half hour on Comedy Central. He writes for Real Time with Bill Maher. He's also the co-host of Get Rich Nick, which I know a lot of you also listen to. He's one of my absolute favorite comedians, period. He's done a lot of impressive stuff. But he's also my go-to example of why comedy is not a meritocracy. Because I honestly don't know who is funnier than Nick Vader. And I wanted to talk to him about starting off in the Chicago comedy scene. So without further ado, here is Nick Vaderot. Go ahead and hit subscribe. Hey, man.
0: Don't ask me. It's my one rule on podcasts. Don't no ask. Questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this.
0: Thanks for having me,
1: man. Of course. So when you get there, did you start stand-up right away? Or did you just do improv and sketch? I think I I did it right away. You
0: you know, I mean, like, I got, you know, I was in Columbia, Missouri, and just uh, living on somebody's couch for, like, a year. And uh, not going to school in a college town, just really being the worst type of person. And um, it was so funny. I mean, I was doing, the only thing I was doing was, like, there would be, like, stand-up contest once a year and i would do that lose and then wait till the next year to do stand up a second
1: time that's how you do it yeah um
0: basically and then uh i think i drove to like kansas city once and then st louis once to do the open mics at those places but you know for the most part i didn't know you could just start a show Uh. i think everybody knows that now I I don't know uh why we didn't know that. I don't know what happened. You know the boom that happened in like uh you know when you read about the the history, you know like it feels like comedy and coffee houses feels like a new thing, but I feel like that's what it was that's what was happening like in early stand up. It was happening in you know uh coffee houses. Yeah.
1: And um
0: and then I guess I – I don't know what happened in the 80s. I feel like it stopped being in coffee houses. I never heard of those guys running around in coffee houses
1: doing comedy. I it think feel like discos it was, was closed, an- and they needed to do something with these closed discos.
0: <laughs> Is that right? I think.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm not 100% sure, because like, in Boston, they would be like – it sounded like the Lincoln Lodge. They were like, we're in the back of the ding-ho – and we put on a show there and then comedy clubs got popularized and comedy clubs were a lot like, like the improv was Bud Friedman with a brick wall and a piano and like comedians and people who were coming from Broadway, the piano's there. So they could come do like a song and dance type of thing if they wanted to. And,
0: and, and I think that's, um, you know, even, you know, when they would, um, uh, You know, I feel like when it was like in Greenwich Village, there was like, it, it, when comics would go up in between folk singers. Yeah. You know, that was like a coffee house time. The comedy club as we know it, what didn't exist. Right. You know, when, when Lenny Bruce was going up at the bitter end and, you know, these, these were just performance venues. And uh, so then you have, you know, the improvisation and then all these you know copycats mm-hmm. but there was but then stand up was on tv and then you know and people wanted to go see the people they saw on tv that was this huge boom it feels like there was so many comedy clubs at point that Maybe that's why i never hear about any coffee houses during that time, because they didn't need them. It felt like there right. was, no, you know, it feels like like Chicago. When we got there, I thought when I moved from Columbia to Chicago, I truly thought there was going to be just comedy clubs on every corner. I thought I really did. I don't know yeah. what I thought. You know, I, I hadn't I'd been to Chicago before. And then to find out that Zanies was really the only game in town was just like mind blowing to me. And, um, they all went away. There was, you know, the, you know, there was too many clubs. They didn't have a quality enough quality comics to go, you know, so people were going out, seeing bad shows, they stopped going. And, uh, so as those comedy clubs went away, it feels like there was more of a need to start doing these D I Y shows. And so it feels like the coffee house and back of bar shows and all the stuff that we started doing, um, started to become more of a thing again
1: um that's you know, a hundred that's 100 right and honestly i felt the exact same way when i moved to chicago whatever wherever jerry seinfeld was performing at the beginning of his show i uh-huh. just assumed that existed everywhere right right chicago yes. was a huge city that had to be everywhere
0: I thought they were like CVS, like Dwayne Reed's, just like everywhere, like comedy club across from the comedy club.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and just
0: running across the street and doing, yeah, such a crazy thing. And um, what's funny is that it did turn into that eventually, but um, but not with comedy clubs. It was, the, you know, the, the sort of the scene that we were part of the community that built. You know, because it's definitely when you talk about when we got there, there was. Uh, one lion's den was the biggest show of the week yeah at least when i got there and that was the open mic and then you know gradually there was like you know um i mean lincoln lodge was really you know elevated on wednesday and then lincoln lodge you know on were they doing the two shows or was it just friday in the beginning
1: it was just friday
0: yeah so it's really just like there was three shows it felt like there was three places you could do well
1: you're forgetting somebody major
0: am i forgetting dave uh yes this is true but it wasn't uh it wasn't a state that was more of a rotating thing you know it wasn't like like it was at chase cafe for a little bit and then it was at some other place it was always a different (laughs) show somewhere yeah and there was a lot of those shows, yeah, yeah, those things were happening, but as far as like tent pole staples in the scene, yeah, you know, like that you knew if you went to Cherry red on Wednesday, there would be a show there.
1: It's so funny, and, it's uh, so f- fu- my goals, my three goals when I got there, host the den, do mm-hmm. the elevated, do the lodge mm-hmm. that was how I knew that I had made it um
0: absolutely when 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 um let's see. When Steve asked me to host The Lion's Den, Steve O'Harvey, Yes, the late great. Um, I passed uh, on it because I told him I wasn't ready. And uh, it's such a funny thing to look Some of the things that I look back at. Yeah. Like, and he, I remember him laughing and being like, OK, well, let me know when you're ready to host this open mic. <laughs>
1: It's not like that, though. There would be fifty people in the crowd. It was, you know.
0: Oh no, that was uh, that felt like Carson calling you over to the couch to be asked to host the Lions Den. That was the biggest. That was the biggest nod I felt you could possibly get at that at that point.
1: Yes. So okay. So you get there in two thousand two. two. Uh-huh. Um, the elevated and the Lincoln Lodge are the aspirational things. Or did you go to the, the den? right away do you remember what that was like when you went in there
0: so i go yes i go to um uh, i'm in college and i'm not going to college anymore and i go i can't i got to do something i had a volkswagen bus loaded up my bus uh second city had come through columbia and this scene and i did the only oh this is i was gonna say i was like I was like, perform- the only things I was doing was like uh, performing at the, uh, you know, I do the open mic once a year, or I do this comedy contest at Deja Vu Comedy Club, the only comedy club in the world named after a strip club, Ooh. or had to have a strip club name. Ooh. I don't know why they called it Deja Vu. Private Eyes was taken, I guess.
1: <laughs> um, but Crazy <laughs> Girls. <laughs> Crazy Girls Comedy Club. <laughs> A gentleman's comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> gentleman's co- crazy girls, gentleman's comedy. It's going to be big.
0: <laughs> but um, I, you know, and I thought there were going to be all these uh, comedy clubs there. I signed up for a second city class, drove from Columbia to Chicago, literally uh, it, it timed it. So I pulled up at, like parked and ran up minutes before my class started We went to my first class. You know, I I hadn't even been in town for 45 minutes, you you know, and I go to this class. I get out of the class and I'm like, well, time to find a place to live, a job, all that kind of stuff. You
1: went to improv class before you. (laughs) It started right when I got there. I had to go. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Got lost
0: along the way. Took a wrong exit and an entrance. And um, but I um, and it's funny. I slept in that van for the first like couple of,
1: uh, I guess, years No
0: years yeah and i finally got a nicer van to sleep in and that's when i made it uh i remember like sleeping in my car on well street um and uh and like going up like getting out of my car in the morning and like taking a walk and and getting the reader out and look opening it up and seeing an ad for the defiant thomas brothers yeah and, uh, and seeing the comedy you know page in that that had a list of all the shows and stuff um so I uh you know I, I I took classes at Second City trying to figure out my life and everything uh met some people they told me about improv olympic uh I went up to uh, improv olympic uh to kind of check it out see what the deal was uh when I was in there I asked them do they do stand up comedy there uh the person at the box office said no but you should go check out this place called the Lion's Den Ah. Um, so this person told me about the lion's den. I went over to the lion's den that, you know, uh, that next Monday night. And it's funny. I remember walking in and seeing the place and being like, okay, well, this is, um, interesting. Um, I guess they'll, uh, I guess I wonder where they'll, wonder where they'll do the show, but, oh, oh whatever. Go up, sit down at the bar, ordered a beer. Uh, I was at that bar for at least a half an hour, if not more. And then I finally said to the bartender, I go, so what times does the show start? And he was like, oh, the show's in the back. I didn't realize that there was a whole nother room. I thought that was the whole lines in that front room. And I was like, oh, so I, I, I you know, get my beer. I, I walk, I pull back that curtain. I start hearing the laughter, you know, Yeah. and then I, I there's that little like kitchen, you know, that little isthmus between the
1: two. Yeah, rooms. All, there's those little side open. areas. Yeah.
0: Laughter turns into screaming just just complete like just a real show mike wiley was on the stage wow some bit about a painting and then like and doing this and been pulling the painting out and something i need to ask him what this bit was because it was my first memory of the lion's den it was like him i just picture him pulling off the painting and he made his head the painting as as he was holding it, and uh, and I just, and it was just packed, and people were screaming and laughing. I was like,
1: "Oh,
0: this is the lion's den."
1: Um, I had and- been told it was a pretty big open mic. Did the exact same thing.
0: Really, I did the
1: exact same <laughs> thing. And Holmes Holmes met me there, Mike Holmes, and he goes, uh, "There's thirty five. There's already thirty five people on the list." And I was like, "Where?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you see, like, did you think, like, everybody was amazing? Were you like, oh, my God? Like, did you think anybody was, like, really good? Um, do you remember that sort of thing? Um, I remember that er- I felt that everybody there
0: was a pro. You know, I think I had this, like, um, uh, sort of, like, it, it, I just, for some reason, I, I think I've talked to Jared Logan about this. You know that I think I think Logan got there like a week before me. Oh, really? Something like that. Huh. I feel like we got there the same, real close to the same time. And then, but I looked at everybody as as people who had been doing it for years. I, I thought these were all stand-up comics. Yeah. These were yeah. all guys yeah. and girls who did it. And uh, I just I just thought I had no idea that that a lot of these people were crazy people, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, borderline, uh, more homeless than I was at that moment. Mm. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, and that there would be people who would be some of the greatest comics, you know, uh, uh, of this era. And, um, but I just, I definitely didn't know that people were a lot of the people who had, were not that much had not had not been there that much longer than I had, but yeah, there's this, yeah, this, yeah. this illusion. That, or, or illusion that everybody is just, you have no idea. They just, all this mass of people that have just been doing it forever is what it felt like to me.
1: My first memory of you, I am in, I walk into the bathroom of the lion's den and you are duct taping balloons onto your body. I remember this. You have just you're, and you go sorry 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 and I was like oh no worries and you had just been duct taping balloons all over yourself, yeah. And I think, I think... that you popped a balloon every time that you said a punchline or something.
0: Yes, I um, I finally got up enough confidence to host. You know, felt that was the first time
1: would... you hosted don't
0: know i don't know if that was the first time i hosted but i definitely felt i think the first time i hosted i really ate it oh because i feel like i remember i i had this very ocd thing uh happening you know i always i had to do i don't know I, i i wanted to do five new minutes or three and a half or whatever it was every week and, um, as soon as I left the stage, I started, uh, uh, figuring out what I would do next week. As soon I as you walk- were done. I mean, I would walk home that night. My OCD kind of thing is like, I had to at least have one inkling of something to do. Now, the way that my OCD works is I could, I could technically, Uh, If I thought of something one week and didn't use it the next week, I could technically use that as my thing for the following week. And then what I wound up doing is I wound up holding on to one thing for a couple months uh, just so I wouldn't have to – so I could go to bed without thinking of something. But then I thought – but I did think this one bit was very good. And so when I finally hosted, I was like, this is the bit that I haven't – I'm going to finally burn this bit and do it. And then it completely – Completely bombed, and uh, but uh, uh, I put too much pressure on on myself hosting. I should have just done it in the beginning. I think that's what happened. That's how I kind of remember it. But the balloon thing, I remember. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't think that was my first time hosting. Um, it didn't I feel that, like
1: it to me, who's been doing comedy at this point for a couple of weeks. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think by that time, I think I was starting to. Cause I really like my first couple times doing lion's den. I really, really ate it for a while. Um, and I would, I would walk off stage, walk back to the room, walk out of the bar and walk all the way home. I, I would get so, uh, so, you know, frustrated, you know, it's like I moved here to do this thing and uh, it's not working. And, um,
1: would you be going uh, up at late hours though? Like that was a thing that a lot of people would say about you is like that you had a job or something or, it's, or yeah. you, you had been somewhere else. You'd show up at one thirty. Yeah. Is that generally what would happen?
0: Yeah. I was working at Chevy's in Schomburg and, uh, because, um, I worked at Chevy's in Columbia. I couldn't find a job when I got there. The only Chevy's was out there. And I went there, I was like, can I transfer? And they were like, Okay. Uh, there's a million jobs downtown. Why are you going out here? But, and and I would like, it's a long drive, you know, uh, or sometimes I would take a lot of times I would take the, you know, the bus to the, you know, blue line all the way down to the Armitage bus or, or, or take it down to the Irving park bus and back over, or it was just a long commute back. I would get there at the odd hours. And, 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 and honestly, at that point, it was more, It wasn't as scary to do it at at, at the wee hours because there Uh, was less people there. There was less at stake, I feel. And, um, yes, I feel like there was a little bit of a – there was a different scene at that hour. That's what –
1: okay, so Tommy Mayo would bring in, like, all of his coworkers or something?
0: Yes. I think think when I was really going up towards the end, though, it was before that happened. Okay. That was a big game changer. In you know, that's when I think lines then went from like you know, uh, from, from cocaine to whatever's bigger than cocaine, you know, a speedball or <laughs> yeah, yeah I, yeah. I only know weed, I don't know the other drugs,
1: but um,
0: uh, doesn't seem but like I mean, it. Like, it seems
1: like you were pretty much on top of that one,
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, cocaine and Red Bull. <laughs> Uh, uh, but I, you know, like, you know, when Manny's came along and they, that's when like, there was that hot, hot 10 to 20, you know, period. That was the best time to go up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And
0: then it would sort of like Peter off towards the end. But then when, when Manet showed up with this crew, the, then they would get this second wind every week at the late night. And the late night was almost as much as the fun as the beginning part of the show. If you want and a drug the-
1: analogy, it sounds like quaaludes. <laughs> I was going to say goofballs. <laughs> well, quaaludes, like you have to wait out the drowsy. And then if you don't fall asleep, you get this like incredible high or something
0: okay yes yeah yeah absolutely it was and they were rambunctious they were all they all worked at what was it uh Hugo hugo's frog? frog bar yeah and uh so they came in they were they were they worked. They, they were waitstaff so they were partiers they were drunk they were probably on drugs and um you know they were ready to laugh and have fun and support their friends going up and it was uh, a blast um But yeah, before that all happened, I would, yeah, I'd go up at that tail end and it was, you know, and that was, uh, I think the first time I got, I drew, you know, like an 18 or something. I was, again, nervous. And I was like, I've never gone up in front of the real lion's den yet. I've only gone up at the, like,
1: (laughs) guy sweeping the floor with his back. (laughs) See, I didn't even know that the... Tommy Mayo crew showed up because if I drew above a 30, I was gone. Yeah. Why would you leave? I had a, I had a, to be in a car at seven in the morning to go, if I was going to be at work on time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, you know, it's like, why wasn't I there earlier? Cause we had to work.
1: Yeah. Um, I would have loved know. to have gotten fucked up. I, there'd be nights that I would feel like a rock star, you know, like it was the greatest thing in the world. Like if I had a good set there, but oh my gosh yes
0: it was the best i mean yeah i think you know i mean i remember like the first time it's so funny i think like one of the first times i i did well just like so fun you know it was it was it took like it was like maybe you know four or five times in i finally didn't eat shit for once and uh (laughs) you know, it was just, it was just some bit about birthdays, you know, and, and and daylight savings time. And it just finally, it's so funny. The first time I ever did well at the lion's den, I was like, Oh, I have an act now. Yes. I didn't, I didn't understand how stand-up comedy worked. I didn't know that I would try that bit and it would fail the next five times. I would try it. There was something about telling it first time organically that worked and I to this day, I probably still break that material out and try to try to, uh, you know, get that lightning back. I thought if you did well, you had jokes and those worked. I didn't realize they take dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of times to get it to work right every single I time. I hated
1: that people would be like, "Well, my tried and true bits." And I remember thinking, "Like, you have tried and true bits? <laughs> like, what I do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I've tried and false." <laughs> Like, the fact that you were like, this works anywhere, I was that was just, like, unfathomable to me. Yeah, you know?
0: I The bulletproof?
1: Yeah. The bulletproof bits, but you have bulletproof bits now. I I did not at this point. Right, right, right. It, you know what I mean? When, when I was at... Because, uh, like, Kinane was talking to me about how if he... If the Lion's End was still the same caliber now as it was then, he would be afraid to go in there now. right. I, and just the fact that, like, I was so new and still just, like, went there every week to go, like, eat shit or, like, kill is, like, amazing. You know, it's, like, same with you. Even if it was at one in the morning, it was the... Like, if you went back now, wouldn't you be frightened to go up now?
0: Um, I mean, geez, I, this is, like, we did that show a couple weeks ago, and I was... <laughs> I was a little terrified to go
1: up. It felt very yeah. lion's den ish. CJ was there. You were there. Mike Holmes was there. And I was like, this is 2004 in the lion's den. <laughs> but at least we know each other and it's a little, you
0: know, but like yeah. this, you know, we were to like pop in, you know, like a, uh, a you know, a smoldering hot scene of, 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 kids that we don't know and feel like, Oh my gosh, these, these guys are crushing it. um, It'd be a, I'd be intimidating. I think, uh, I hope, but that's that's I think what we like. Um, yeah. You know, when I got thrown into the fire, that like when I think it was Eric Acosta who was like, hey, he was hosting. He's like, hey, do you want to? You know, somebody just dropped. You know, because you know, people would put their name in, but they'd have their friends put their name in, and they wouldn't be there in time. Right. so a spot would open up, and they'd be like, hey, do you want to take the spot? And I, uh, I was like, ah, and then I was like, screw it, and I went up, and it went. Great, and it was uh, so much fun. But that's, I mean, that's 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 kind of half the fun of stand up. That there's so much at stake that you could just eat shit in front of everybody, (laughs) or I mean, eat shit in front of so many people after so many people just
1: kill. You know? Yeah. It didn't matter. (laughs) Um, How often would you repeat your jokes? Because, like, one thing that people often say about you is how many times did you see vader do that bit though like um he never i never saw him do that again and like of course i've had like a thousand shows with you i can i know some like if i listen to for amusement purposes only like i know some of the bits like i'll be like i know where i heard that but but how often would you do that did you have a thought process about that did you do it purposefully like how did that work
0: in chicago Another OCD thing is I would never do the same bit at the same venue or do the same bit twice in a week. Ah, uh, uh, so I had to. So those those are the things that had to happen. It's all OCD based.
1: I mean, um, and and immense talent.
0: Maybe like a little bit. Um, I think it's 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 hard to distinguish where like the mental illness. <laughs> Sort of when ended. you saw
1: other comics doing the same bits, were you like "fuck this uh, coward," <laughs> or were you like "didn't care"? You didn't I have didn't, a, it. was just for you. It wasn't as interesting to me.
0: Okay. I, I understood. I under. I, I did understand watching like, um, like. I, I feel like there was a thing that I forget exactly where this came from. I don't think I had this conversation with Camille. I think TJ did, and TJ relayed this to me. You know, like Camille was a guy that. You know, he he would do material you had done before, but it was it was exciting and interesting to watch him change it. You know, he wasn't doing the same exact thing every time. Uh, He would have a new tag. He would have a new. You know, it it would be. It it was getting better, and I feel like his analogy was something like he has this like sculpture that he's building, and each week the sculpture is a little better. And he's added to it and he's molded it and he's changing. He wants to show everybody where it is right now at this point. And um and I really dug that. I understood that. And uh and it was fun and exciting as such a fan of comedy as I was to watch, you know, like, I, I think I got more frustrated watching somebody eat shit with with three minutes of material, and then do the same exact three minutes the next week with no tweak at all. No, like, what? Why? What are you doing? Like, um, and so I was more interested. I did like watch. I like watching everybody. I liked watched everybody's approach, and and I I was drawn to more things. I, I never, you know, than others. But I I, I I understand. You know, and Pete Holmes too is another guy you watch. You know, he would. He dropped. Oh, he dropped that whole part, you know, and then, yeah. and then he added this thing on, and oh, those two bits are now one bit now. I and I loved. I loved all that, but you know, as far as like what I did, it was a little. It was OCD, but it was also like that's just what I was. That's what was interesting to me. Right. I felt it was more interesting. I liked that I could go. Um, I, that's what I like to watch. I like to watch. I always, I would rather watch somebody fail with something new than relive a glory that they've already lived in the, in the past again. Yeah. And, um, and, and that's what I like to watch. So that's what I, it's what I like tried to, you know, uh, work on. And, and what was interesting I feel is that like trying to come up with three and a half minutes every week is, um, you know, there's not three and a half minutes worth of stuff that happens in your head a week. that's worth exploring on stage. You know, there's a lot of uh, garbage, but I tried to do it. And I think that's what sort of lent itself to me trying to experiment. You know, I, I, I really loved, you know, the, the Steve Martin, Andy Kaufman experimenting with the form type of stuff. That was interesting to me. Right. And so like, you know, to try to find different things to do on stage, uh, different ways to utilize that three and a half minutes. I never thought stand up should specifically be a certain thing. You know, I never bought into this idea that it, it is a person going up and giving their thoughts on the world or being personal, or, you know, I felt it could be anything as long as you're trying to make people laugh. That's all that it should ever be. And so trying to, trying to like explore that and see how many different ways you could sort of do that is what I liked and, 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 you know, trying something, you know, sometimes I just did, I I had, I had three and a half minutes of jokes that I wrote and other times it's like, well, I I don't really have a lot of jokes. So I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, just get, get Brady Novak to, or, you know, like uh, I remember like Brady and I came up with a bit, that'd be funny to do a ventriloquist bit, you know? And so, That was the one where he and I were at his house and we were like, it's funny to do a ventriloquist bit. We'll both put our names in whoever gets uh, drawn first. uh, I will go hide in. I will go hide in the cabinet in the back before the show starts. And then you take my spot. If they draw me, you know, or whoever gets drawn first. And then you go up there, you say, you don't have anything. And then go, uh, so you want to improvise. And then he goes into the cabinet, opens up the cabinet, pulls me out. And, uh, and and uses me as a ventriloquist bit, but the funny thing is, is that people know that I've been sitting in there for like an hour and a half in this cl- <laughs> in this closet. It's like right in front of the stage the whole time. Like that stuff was fun to me to try to do. You know, I was like, "Well, I don't have jokes this week, so this is a fun thing to do."
1: What were you? What's going through your mind in there?
0: I brought beers in there, oh, okay. and uh, <laughs> the whole thing is—you uh, didn't have to pee. No, I pee before. You always pee before you get in the cabinet. You get in the cl- cabinet.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and uh, I try not to hit the cymbals because there was all these drum instruments in there. So if I moved my neck a little bit, all these drums and cymbals would come crash. Did you
1: ever regret being in there?
0: Oh, my gosh. I regret not being in there enough. Th- those were my favorite. I-, I remember sitting in that closet in the-, in the pitch dark, waiting, you know, counting, like, 18 comics or whatever it was. You know, waiting to get out of there uh, and going over the, the routine that we had come up with, you know? Um, was it based on the movie Chicago? We watched Chicago to get some ideas for that. Absolutely.
1: Okay. Um, Brady thinks it was a 20. I've heard people give like all kinds of different numbers. He said you drew a six, he drew a 20. It's funnier if you take bad. the 20. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. Cause it was, I remember we got a good spot. And the one was, I think the one was, that's right, because I think the one was too early. It was like, no, it's not funny <laughs> if I get pulled six. Yeah, six is it's funny weird. if I'm in there for like 20 comments.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. It was,
0: and I mean, just people going, losing. I, you know, it's, there's, there's video of it on YouTube. There's just people going nuts at the whole thing. Uh, It's. I mean, that was just, that's when comedy was the most fun. That was so fun to do. Yeah. And you can only do that at the lion's den because that doesn't work in any other show really where, oh, I've been back there during the guy, the first guy's half hour set. I don't know. It's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Comic after comic after comic are walking by me in this closet.
1: Hey, can you Uh, recreate this? I have an open mic where there's 25 comedians and an audience the whole time. (laughs) And they'll be like, oh, he was in there the whole time. Because I was here for this open mic.
0: Yeah, it's some things are just like that you was. Can't,
1: you can't do that. That was
0: perfect for that moment. You know, that was absolutely. And so I think that's that's the type of stuff you know that I that I love.
1: That is Nick Baderot. There's still a lot more show, but if you want video of this conversation and legitimately three hours of after show, it's on the Patreon, Patreon.com forward slash Brio B R I D O. And also just go there if you want to support the show. There are World Series reviews, 1903 to 1949. I posted my 20th Chicago Comedy History bonus show this week with Mike Olson, another hidden gem from Chicago that everybody loves, who kind of became a recluse. He's the fucking best, though. So go get those if you haven't already. The tiers start at $1 a month and then $5 a month patreon.com slash also a reminder that July 17th I think that's tomorrow when this comes out is the next carport comedy show in Eagle Rock I'm also at Fresh Hair Comedy on July 31st in Echo Park the carport show has friends of the show Mike Holmes John Durnell Megan Gailey James Fritz Steph Tolev James Austin Johnson Otsuko Okatsuka Kimberly Clark Jared Logan and Lizzie Cooperman plus me plus free burgers and beer That show is free tomorrow night when you get this. The Fresh Hair Show has Renee Godier, Asif Ali, Ever Maynard, Lindsay Adams, Jared Goldstein, Ryan Dalton, and surprise guests, apparently. And I will post those on my social media soon. If you want more of me, I've been on a couple episodes of Power Moves with Mike Burns. I did take uh, the last week off because I was in Texas. Went to the school book depository. Really got to the bottom of things. But I've had some fun with Burns on the past two weeks uh, over there. Okay, we'll get right back to the show after a brief word from our sponsors. This show is brought to you by No Coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in Urbandale, Iowa, my beloved home state. Learn to defend yourself. Get back in shape. COVID made you way less hot. That can be fixed by black belt instructor and bona fide hunk, Jared Barr. He's been on the show. If you're in the Des Moines area, stop getting your ass kicked. Go-Go Plata, the fuck out of life, until it taps. No-coast Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Tell them Brido sent you. Hi, this is Dustin with Nun Taken Podcast, and I have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Hey, this is Alan with Nun Taken, and I also have listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. And you clearly listened to Hunk with Mike Bridenstine, so maybe you'll like our show, too. We post weekly episodes recapping current events and sharing way too much of our tragic personal lives. Give us a listen. You can find us wherever you found Hunk with Mike, or go to our website nuntakenpod.com and now back to the world's greatest panel fuck yeah all right cool <laughs> these guys fuck <laughs> i don't i don't say this every day but you can tell just from their voices that they fuck those guys just exude raw sex appeal i mean you heard it did you hear those guys sex if sex had a voice, it would sound like Dustin Allen. because those guys fuck. Now here's more with Nick Vatterott. Go ahead and hit subscribe.
0: Well, there was the week when I I was at work and I, this bartender was running around frantically looking for his milk jugs. He couldn't find. He's like, "Where, are the, milk? He's like, where are the milk? jugs where were the milk jugs? Where were them? I just had the milk jugs here. Has anybody seen the milk jugs?" And that was, um, you know, so funny to me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, well, I could write a joke about that. I was like, I was at work and I saw the bartender looking for these milk jugs. But I was like, it's more fun to just be that guy on stage and just what if I, in the middle of my set, I can't hold it together because I lost my milk jugs the night before and it's still bothering me. And then what if the milk jugs... And then I had... uh, Josh would, you know, uh, Josh Chaney would help me with bits all the time. And he would, you know, he'd be working from the tech booth and I'd be like, hey, this thing. And it's like, when I break down crying, can you say, hey... I think those are your milk jugs back there. And uh, he's like, where? Then shines the light in the corner. Then I go back, pull back the curtain. Um, and there's uh, uh, two milk jugs back there. And then uh, dancing, a dirty dancing time of my life starts playing and to do a whole choreographed dance with the milk jugs, ending with me doing the big baby in the corner jump dance on the milk jugs landing. I mean, that shit was so fun. That was so fun to do that type of shit. And then it's like, all right, well, that's what I did that week. Um, And it was – and then other weeks it was jokes. The balloon thing was like, okay, I have a bunch – what I also really loved around that time is like, what else? What else? I love asking that with with the material, the jokes. What what else? Did you have access
1: to a lot of balloons?
0: Um, I worked in the, down in the balloon district and, you know, they throw out all the unused balloons at the end of every day and, you know, they can, they let you just go and grab whatever.
1: Hey, Mike Wiley had access to a whole party store. So,
0: oh, that's right. I spent a lot of time at the party store and uncle fun, uncle fun. Uh, those were two places that I got a lot of, uh, a lot of props and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, oh, the balloons was, uh, so, okay. So the balloon thing was like, I had written, I had written like 12 one-liners, you know, (laughs) but I was like, well, I don't just do one-liners. Here's what I'm going to do. And this was like the hosting thing. So this is what you saw me when you walked in. I was like, I'm going to do a thing where I am going to try to, every time I tell a joke, I'm going to pop a balloon. I want to see how many jokes I can tell in a certain amount of time. The time, the sands in the hourglass, in the minute glass, we're going to be having the audience sing this song. And Prayer Zonka. Uh, yes. Larry Zonka, Zonka, Larry Zonka, Dan Deardorff, Vinnie Testaverde, Dick Vermeil So... <laughs>
1: So I, I was the- there i was there for this <laughs>
0: whole audience to sing that song and it's me popping all the balloons doing a one-liner they're singing uh, dick for meal and um you know and it's like that that was uh I, it's so funny i have a very vivid memory of you coming into the bathroom while i'm trying to manically <laughs> put bath- uh, balloons on and stuff
1: one of my first weeks there and it's like I don't even know like how my brain process. I just was fully prepared to always see the weirdest thing I'd ever seen.
0: Well, I think you know. I was talking to John Roy the other day, and we were talking about how in Chicago we didn't really know what it, what we were supposed to be doing. You know, I yeah. mean, he, no YouTube, no YouTube. Yeah, it's just lore. It's just yeah. um, you just. I mean, hear about. The thing. Alternative comedy. Yeah. What is yeah. how, it's happening in New York. Who's doing it? We don't know. It's at Luna Lounge. <laughs> right. It's at Rafifi. Right. Um, you know, but but maybe one person went up there, but but I, I don't we didn't know. We didn't know what this alternative comedy scene was. So we just guessed.
1: Yeah.
0: And um and and I thought it involved balloons. Um and I was sorely mistaken. Hey, sometimes
1: uh, sometimes in Jamaica, they try to play R&B music and it turns into reggae or 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 a bunch of nerdy white guys in England try to play the blues. And they're like, we're Led Zeppelin. You know, it's like sometimes you got balloons and you become the Chicago alt scene. That's so funny. When people tell new jokes, it's generally like they kind of hedge their bets on if this bombs it's okay because I don't. I'm not really married to this bit. How did you go up and throw yourself 100 percent into it with no net at that point? Did you just have it in your head like "fuck it," like or? Oh yeah,
0: well I think uh, that was the only way to do it. It's it is funny though. I've seen Brian Regan talk about like <laughs> he's like he's like when I he's like when I bomb it really hurts because. It's not just like I told a, you know, a, a pithy one-liner with my I don't care attitude. He's, you know, he's like fully committing this crazy character and no, like it reeks of effort. It reeks of uh, I'm trying to make everybody laugh and not, it's not working. Yeah. As opposed to this like I don't care if you laugh or not attitude. Uh, so like yeah, when it when it whiffs, it whiffs hard.
1: Swinging <laughs> uh, <laughs> from your heels. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but someone
1: I, someone bombing during an act out is more painful than like isn't wouldn't it be weird if I cared guy, you know. Right. Right, right. Um Who would you, you, know, you did you stay in the room the whole time or would you be in the the bar and hear somebody's name and be like I got to go check out this person? And if so, who would you get the most excited to see on uh, every Monday?
0: I think our, our friends, you know, yeah. and, and any any of them you know i think anybody we still keep in touch with are probably people that we went back and watch especially if it's like you know three people in a row oh there's like you know you know uh prescott hannibal and you know emily are all going up right now like oh let's go you know let's, yeah. let's go check at the back um god that's always the worst one <laughs> that, that clear out <laughs> <laughs> the clear out's the worst, you know, where a comic See, goes up, destroys and everyone clears out. As a
1: person up. who was like not fully formed at the lion's den, when I saw the mantriloquist thing, my first thought was, oh, my God, can you imagine being next? <laughs> it is weird if it's
0: it's like uh, it depends on which teenager the, the room is turned into, you know, <laughs> teenager that's excited to be at the ball game. Yes. If the teenager thinks everything in the world sucks, then no. Cause yeah, it's,
1: <laughs> the room the is always room. a teenager. Yes.
0: Which teenager? who are you tonight? Cause you would, you would lose, you would lose so much faith in, you know, a cold room is sometimes so hard to get going and you, um, yeah, I don't know if I said my thing earlier right or not, but a cold cold room is the worst. It's the hardest thing to get going. Yeah, And you, uh, I remember, like, losing faith in a joke, and then I realized months later when I tried again, oh, that was that room. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, that that
0: joke is fine. That room just was like they had seen eight awful people in a row, and they just were sort of over it. But, yeah, but if you – but sometimes they were just, like, waiting for somebody to give them excuse to laugh.
1: Yeah, it's weird – and and the clear out can affect it. It's weird. I would love to see like um, a behavioral psychologist go watch a stand up show, and yeah. and have them be like, "This is why you bombed," <laughs> or something. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But if people um,
0: are you know antagonistic. Yeah. You know, or you know, or you know, I, I it's just so funny seeing in what a different style. You know, I think we all really influenced each other. Um. I think the improv scene influenced the standup scene. Yes. Um, even if it was by, you know, a couple degrees, even, even the standups that had the, you know, biggest animosity towards improv. I think we're being in, there was standups being influenced by improv and then they're being influenced by the standups and then vice versa. The improvs being, you know, there's humors that the, you know, hardcore standups are, it's being filtered through the, you know, stand-ups that are got a feet in both worlds. And that's going yeah. into this. So I think all the comedy sort of, it's a big, great comedy city. And then in New York, I saw, you know, some of this anger, I feel like, like, I don't know. There was a lot of anger that I felt like, Oh, if you're just angry comics, create more other angry comics. Uh, and I never saw that so much in Chicago. I never saw that so much as like a comic come out and just, Be like, fuck you, audience.
1: Yeah, the the people that, when I first moved to L.A., the people who did the comedy store were angry on stage, and they must have got, like, a lot of hecklers or something at that that location. Because I remember, like, they were all fucking mean on stage and just being like, Jesus. Yeah. They have to have that bravado so people know not to fuck with them on stage or something.
0: Maybe we lucked out by not having, we didn't really have a a tourist-heavy audience in any of the places we went up yeah pretty much just people looking to get out of the cold and
1: uh, <laughs> it's a go out city it's like a go out in your neighborhood type of city yeah. I guess.
0: and they go out to have fun you yeah. know i feel like a lot of times in new york it felt like give me a reason why i should be in here you know like the audience has often felt like these like kings like amuse me bring me more mead and it was williamsburg they served mead um but <laughs> but in chicago i think people genuinely wanted they hope they were they were rooting for the show to be good as yeah. opposed to having being a little you know i could be doing anything in the city and explain why this is worth my time
1: i wanted to run down some of the lore of the den to see if you were there or had any specific memory of this. And if you don't, then I'll move right along. Were you there for any of the Crocus stalker stuff?
0: Um, I saw it at mix one time. Yeah. Coil's, uh, Coil is Coily's tipping, tippling house, which turned into mix, which turned into crush. Yeah. Or, or crush then mix. Yeah. Um, and I'd heard lore of this and then I saw it one time and it was really, uh, it was really kind of creepy. It was yeah. very unsettling. I felt bad for her. She seems to have had some sort of issue. But uh I, I you know, I'd heard stories about it. I'd heard so many stories about it for a couple of years. Not that I doubted it, but I just like I don't know what I I don't know what I really thought of it, you know? And then one time I heard uh Adam and uh, there was it was just like a ghost or some sort of like and she was in the back of the room and I guess he was on stage and people started like like I, weird like all the other comics I felt knew what was going on immediately and then somebody was like that's that's the stalker girl and uh yeah I don't know I'm, I'm curious what stories you've heard about
1: oh my god They had this, like, ragtag softball team that, like, she would show up for. There's one where Bryce jumps in CJ's arms like Scooby-Doo at the elevated. (laughs) (laughs) That one is especially a good visual. I was there at the mix when she showed up, and he had to produce this thing. Like, it was like a crucifix to a vampire sort of situation. (laughs) He had this civil restraining order. Yeah. And people just talked about it, but, um, yeah, he, if you ever see crow, he's not shy about telling you about it. If you have 30 minutes to burn and ask him about it, ask him about some sets. He did well at, he'll be happy to tell you that as well. I'm kidding. I love him. Were you there when George Carlin showed up? No,
0: but I, that happened. I feel before my time. Do you remember when, uh, when, when, when um, uh, Jenna Friedman got the
1: uh, Robin, Robin Williams
0: Roy? to come over to uh, Entertaining Julia.
1: I was gone, but Brady told me that story also. So that was, you were still in Chicago. You and Brady were both still living there or were you back at something? I don't, I was
0: definitely there at the time. I think I was living there because I had a bike. I was doing a show up at Annoyance and Jen, Jenna texted me and was like, hey, Robin Williams is Julia. Do you want to go up and i was like she's like you got to be here like in 15 minutes and I, I i got on my bicycle and i rode all the way from you know uh uptown all the way down to you know boys town, boys town. and uh and and got in and it was so packed in the time because you know that that bar really was if the lion's den was only that front room uh, and it was so packed and i was yeah. like he's not there's no way he's in here. And then, uh, and then he walked right by me and he was magical. He truly was the real deal. He was like, um, you know, there was this, I guess a sketch group that had left a prop up on stage. It was one of those old timey radios from, you know, like, um, from radio shows with like the little circle uh, on top, you know, yeah, yeah. uh, and, and news radio style. And he improvised like a radio play with that thing with a bunch of different characters and stuff, you know. Because he saw that thing and started playing with it, and it was, it, it was amazing. It was, you know, and I, it was absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I couldn't. I was like, oh, he's Robin Williams. It's, it's. He deserves everything that you know, uh, all the accolades.
1: He called uh, you and Brady big and big and small.
0: That's right. He so he talked to me after the show, and was like. Um, because I went up and he said some nice things and I was like, well, me and Brady are, you know, we're going up to San Francisco next week for a road trip. Do you recommend any place? And Robin Williams hooked us up with, uh, with a gig. The Throckmorton? (laughs) Yeah, Throckmorton Theater. And so funny. We go all the way up there and... Uh, they treated us like kings. They were like, hey, it's Robin Williams' friends. You know, like, hey, look, Robin Williams' good buddies are here. Hey, look, it's the guys who spoke at Robin Williams' wedding. You know, like, I feel like they kept, like, increasing our uh, <laughs> our relationship with him. We're like, we talked to him for five minutes after his show. And then... <laughs> And they were giving us, like, they, they paid us well, and they were feeding us well, and they were just so nice to us. And we were like, I, we felt like the gig is up. They're going to find out that we don't even really know this. And then they go, hey, Robin Williams is stopping by. Um, he's going to, and we're like, oh, he's going to come in here. He's not going to remember us. They're going to think that we're shysters. And he shows up, and hey, it's big and small. And, um, oh, was, that's funny. You know, I'll tell you a funny thing. I When I finally got asked to do elevated um you know i got asked to do it it was one of the first times i ever it was the first time i got asked to do that show that was like this cool show that was another thing too deb downing was uh, on the main stage at second city and um and she was so funny and uh, i went and saw the main stage show and i was looking at the um the, the whatever the little pamphlet they give you that has everybody's bio in it and all of her thanks, and one of her thanks was is she thanked the elevate King Collier and the and the elevated, the alternative comedy show. And I was like, "Oh, alternative comedy—that sounds interesting. Alternative stand—that sounds interesting. I wonder what that is." You know, so I like, I went there to go figure out what this was, and um, you know, and I think I I wound up writing you know the giant set list bit that I was yes. doing on Fallon is something I did. I, I wrote for The Elevated because The, I, the, the Elevated is an uh, alternative comedy place. I need to write an alternative comedy bit. Um, I was sort of uh, – I saw all the um, comics at the den and other places go up with their set list. And um, and, uh, and then it sort of annoyed me. Like, you can't memorize three and a half minutes uh, of things. Um, See, but you. That-
1: you did a set list bit on TV – I, in my Montreal set and a joke that I did on TV, I never memorized it, ever. (laughs) I read it off of the paper on TV and (laughs) in my Montreal set, and I made it look like it was part of it, but I never, I didn't trust myself that I had it memorized. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have confidence on stage. Okay.
0: <laughs> I love, I think I make fun of a lot of st- stuff in stand up, you know, in my standup, but I think I'm making fun of myself most of the time. I think I'm making fun of like things that I do, you know, or, you know, uh, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of things that I bet could feel like I'm making fun of stand up comedy and I kind of am. Yeah. But- I'm making fun of myself most of the time uh, things that I do in it.
1: When you did the giant set list on Fallon, I watched that, I think with Mike Holmes and Mike Burns, and we giggled like little kids, like you were getting away with something. (laughs) Like we couldn't believe they let you do this bit. Like, why are they allowing this on television? Like,
0: it's pretty amazing. They let me, uh, it it's amazing that they were so supportive of it and they were so down for it um you know maybe it came from you know this was on jimmy's like first show before tonight's show when it was just when you took over conan's slot and so maybe they were just excited they, they wanted to try new things or and were they uh, that, were in that mentality i don't know uh, you know i've uh i you know i remember i, I submitted something to seth myers and I got a, I got an email back that was like, oh, I got, I should find this email, but it was something like, none, none of this. No, it was like, no, I forget. What, oh, I, I got to look it up and see what word they used, but they were like, n- none of this. It was like, no horsing around, joke.
1: <laughs> <It was> something, <laughs>
0: something like
1: that. No Mickey like, Mouse grab ass <laughs> horse shit we don't stand for any Mickey Mousing around up here. <laughs> we take our comedy seriously. Yeah. It's time no, for a closer up. look, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Remember when all the talk shows just devolved into Stephen Colbert crying and saying, how dare you, sir, every night? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Do you have any memorable things that you saw at, at the Elevated? Were you ever like at one of those hot uh, anniversary shows that they would have?
0: Yes, you know, I remember like sh- you know, Kane was you know uh, uh, a showman of sorts. I remember like you know he would he would painstakingly put together these videos and stuff, and and shooting those uh, was fun. And you know he was, um, you know, I mean, I feel. I don't know if I'm allowed to uh, uh, compare mortals to gods, but I feel like he had a Dave Chappelle style of comedy before I saw Dave Chappelle do it. He would slap the microphone on his leg. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. He would bring other people up and slap it on their knees. I remember he had a whole symphony of knees and he just went up and down and all the knees played it like a xylophone. He would sort of... Explore ideas on stage, and you know, and 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 I feel like a lot of um feels like Chappelle's style is sort of exploring ideas until he finds like the white hot you know part of it, and then it you know just and then it lights up from there. Um, and but and but he's very patient and he doesn't feel compelled to rush towards you know, it's he doesn't feel the need to be like. Uh, joke, joke 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 you know he can he can sit in silence he let it breathe yeah yeah and he's and he's finding it um and it's very improvisational it feels like a lot of chappelle stuff is and i feel like you know watching i'd never seen anybody do that sort of style before because i feel like we he was perhaps more seasoned than a lot of us and i think we you know i know i was like uh uncomfortable in silence and felt the need to like you know every second needed to be be filled with something um and i understood it took me a while it took me years to understand uh, to appreciate the value of of silence and moments and and uh and in improvisation and so i feel like him you know uh Kind of just sitting up there and talking and finding these things, and then once it hits, ex- you know, exploring it, that was a very cool, fun thing to watch because I don't really remember anybody else doing that uh, in town. Ta- in 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 town, at that time, and then you know, watching, you know, uh, I feel like some second city people would overlap over the at the elevator, you know, Greg that I never that I would see Pete Gross and Deb Downing do stand up. And I wouldn't wouldn't see them anywhere else in town. It was so fun to watch them do it because they were so funny. Uh, that's kind of my, yeah. I, and I remember those shows being, you know, when it when it was popping over there, it was, you know, it, it was popping. It was legendary. Um, I remember. Oh, this was, was going to say before when I finally got asked to do the show it was like on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And I told my parents I couldn't come home for Thanksgiving because I got asked to do uh, the show. And then we, uh, I got there and then nobody showed up and there was no show that night. (laughs) And I thought about this the other day about like, you know, like how important that was for me, you know, uh, you know, not doing, not hosting an open mic, canceling Thanksgiving to do this back of bar show. Yeah. Um, But that show was so important to, you know, I felt uh, to do back
1: then. A lot of people who did improv, like obviously Chicago was a destination city because of Second City um, and because of improv. Was there exciting things going on in improv also while you were there? Like a lot of people have talked about. From like before your time, like Pinata full of bees or some other like review or some or Mick Napier or anything like that. did did any of that feel exciting at the same time that comedy did?
0: Um no, improv is not exciting. And there's, <laughs> there's never been anything exciting about it. And I'm glad the pandemic killed it once and for all. I
1: mean it UCB was- closed the first day of the pandemic
0: <laughs> Um, you know, uh, absolutely. You know, T j and Dave was a very amazing thing uh four square was like church that was like um rob Jan- janice uh dan beck and all pete gross and um oh john lutz and uh and those four were like that was like one of the that i that was i would take classes and then watching those four people improvise every week was i'd learn more on that than i would do where
1: was that at io or so I was second
0: Improv in. olympic yeah io every sunday um, yeah, TJ and Dave, which now I realize they were just basically doing a podcast on stage <laughs> talking, but they were it was uh, but it was honestly more than that. It was what what they did was I remember like watching it so many even, you know, you know how like you watch a good show, you know, and then like Simpsons. I love Simpsons, but I don't watch it anymore. I've just seen it so many times. And even when I still watch it, I still like it. I still laugh. There's, yeah. always, there's always something I laugh at um but you know like tj and dave i felt i'd seen it so many times i didn't make it a point to go anymore yeah but even when i still caught myself like i would come out of a class and or i was hanging out and like oh tj and dave's about to start like well oh, you know I'm, I'm i should go home and work on some stuff And I was, i'll watch the first couple minutes i'd always want up staying the whole time it was always amazing you know um there was um uh, people of earth was an imp- the reckoning the people with you know michael o'brien and mm-hmm. and and that whole cast was just brilliant. There was a lot of things happening. That was just like laughing so hard, seeing people do. Uh, there is just so funny. People of Earth, I they did one of my favorite things in comedy of all time. They did an improv, uh, um, show. I think I forget. Like train was their suggestion, and so, you know how you do a scene, and then. Um, and then you kind of you sweep the stage and you do another scene. I remember these guys were so brilliant. They Each scene was just, they would move to the next car in the train. So to end the scene, they would walk to one end of the stage and quickly run around and come out the other side of the stage. And so it looked like they were each scene. You were seeing each different thing going on in a different car and going down the train and seeing it. And, uh, and they did this for the whole show. And uh, and at the very end, there was some something had happened, and there was a bomb, and the only way to get rid of the bomb was to run out the other side of the train, and so they had to run through every car, and so they had to quickly recreate as the the guy was running from scene to you know. Uh, they all the people quickly recreated what was going on in oh, that oh
1: wow but also
0: like time dash like so you know uh this was 5 minutes ago this was 10 minutes ago this is 20 minutes later from what we just saw and 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 just absolutely and i think they get to the very end and the door's locked and it's in the lights out and it just like i i will i don't remember most of my improv scenes i will remember that show for the rest of my life there was brilliant people in that city doing uh brilliant comedy in all different ways and uh um you know i really think chuck chicago underground yeah. comedy that we that we were part of the beginning was one of the greatest parts of chicago and of the scene you know i felt like that was the 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 last tent pole uh, you know lions den lincoln lodge elevated and then Tuesday needed a tent pole, and, yeah. uh, and and that really felt like a party every week. I feel like that was sort of the attitude and trying things, doing bits, and and having hosts create, uh, you know, runners and, and different themes throughout the show that really like took it more from just a show where a guy hosts. You know, Lincoln Lodge had a great theme. Yeah, Kane Kane's Kane's presence was the theme of that one, um, but a lot of shows were just guy hosts, people do their stuff. Right. It tough felt like it was, Oh, let's make this. Can we make it more? Can we make it a real show? And that was such a fun thing to be a part of.
1: Do you remember what you did at the one year anniversary? Did you do the milk jugs thing or did in my head, you went up as Johnny tough guy. It was the name that they introduced you as. Is there any <laughs> way that that's true? Or am I all <laughs> fucked up in my head?
0: It totally sounds like something. <laughs> because uh, you would write something just for that show sometimes. Yeah. You know, yes. I thought you knew a show was good when people, when you're writing something just for that. And, um, and gosh, man, I, I think that I have some tapes. I think I got Bryce on a tape from Chuck from one of the anniversary shows or something. Cause
1: remember they were like, they were making DVDs. They had DVDs in the back, Jeff Tobin or somebody. And then like Cheney had the last night of the den on a board feed. Like, he has the whole show, the audio. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And so if you were like, can I have the audio of my den set? Cheney would have that. And he sent mine to me. My God, is it bad. (laughs) 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 Yes, that has been Nick Vatterot. Go ahead and hit subscribe. I'll tag him on Twitter and Instagram if you don't follow him already. Give him a follow on social media. That is the show. Again, there's three extra hours of our conversation on the Patreon. $5 tier. Thank you for listening. R.I.P. Michael Clark Duncan.
0: Light.